Hey everybody, you're tuning in to the Halloween special, the Death by DVD Halloween special, and we've got my co-host Hank. No obnoxious intro for him. It's just it's just an intro. What's up, guy named Hank? Uh, not much. What's up with you, dog fucker? Okay, well, you're going to take it to that level? Sure, why not? It's my time to shine! It's my turn to be rude! My original intro was going to be a Giuseppe Andrews impersonation, so I think Dogfucker was at least, you know, we know if people are going to tune in or out now. This Halloween, since we're doing Stephen King month, we decide to have a very obnoxious idea, which is drop a bunch of podcasts the week before Halloween, a lot of different episodes. These are going to be shorter than our usual format. The Death by DVD, five however many days of Halloween. Ooh, sound effects, sound effects, sound effects. And how many movies are in it And I'm assuming since you've read uh, What was written on the website It's Children of the Corn Because that's a smart idea Let's do all the Children of the Corn movies But Children of the Corn Something that's not uh, deeply discussed In the Stephen King universe There's some reasons for that we have discovered This a entire bastardized fucking Selection of movies from a Stephen King story Probably the, It's the Stephen King uh, series That has probably the most films in it most sequels, I'd say. I think, uh, counting the remake, you have ten in total, but we have learned quite the lesson with Stephen King over the last few weeks. Uh, you know, we celebrated the spooky season with The Scariest Man in America, and what is scarier than Stephen King is his film translations. Some of them are abhorrent, some of them are amazing, like the Night Flyer, uh, you know, Gerald's Game was a pretty solid movie, and that was an enjoyable back and forth we had. I think I had some insight, but there's no insight to any of these tonight. I've spent too much time, as you've said, just immersing myself with Children of the Corn. I really haven't. All I did was watch the movies. I don't know about you, but I was not even aware that there was a eight or a nine. These were those were completely. I was aware because a few years ago, a bunch of them were on Netflix, and me and my lady, we uh, we. Well, uh, the the newest one came out last year. That's fairly new. Yes, I like. I hadn't even heard of that really until recently. I didn't know that a new one came out last year, and I avoided. Not really avoided. I just kind of lost interest in Jonah Gordon. Didn't see the remake forever, so. We are, like, I'm more up-to-date now on Children of the Corn. Although, I think it the most important thing to mention of why there are so many Children of the Corn movies, it's mostly because in the late 80s, early 90s, Bob and Harvey Weinstein bought up the, the rights to Children of the Corn, and they did what they do, which is, we got to hold on to these rights. Well, you know what they, the reasoning for this too wasn't. It, it was almost just specifically sequels that they really they they had some I just ideas. Wanted a name. That's yeah. the only thing they bought was the name. Well, it wasn't just Children of the Corn. You know, they pulled out Hellraiser and a few others, and they just knew we can really beat these dead horses until you know the audience grows tired of it, which is funny that, you know, the tables turned in the mid to late 90s. These movies kind of died out. People stopped going to the theater. Most of them were direct to video. But now, if you tried to remake them like Hellraiser, have somebody else play a specific character, the audience is absolutely batshit crazy over, no, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Children of the Corn, on the other hand, there's no fucking rating. Some of them are awesome if they were their own standalone movies. Some of them are just bad. To get at the, the the heart of the matter, it's what the Weinstein's were really doing in the '90s was buying horror properties to just make sequels off of the name alone. They didn't care about the story. They didn't want to spend any money on them. They just wanted to put a product up so they could get a return. So most of these films didn't have more than 
a few million dollars budget and even to the later ones probably didn't even have a million dollar budget crap out over the years and just make like you know because if you spend a million dollars on a children of the corn movie and then six months or whatever it's in walmart's you know you're gonna make at least five million back so it's it's a return on investment so nobody really is caring about you know really curating children of the corn as a series or even caring if it made any sense at all over those several different movies i think what's funny too is if you look at comparisons for a lot of these children of the corn releases some of the major movies that were coming out for miramax also at the same time in dimension like chasing amy and um you know all of kevin smith's 90s films kind of release at the same dates but a lot of the ben affleck ones you know the movie did with matt damon goodwill hunting all of these were coming out like hey at the same time we also have children of the corn seven and uh goodwill hunting honestly that's why they did the brand split of Miramax and Dimension. Well, Miramax is our highbrow stuff. That's our Ben Affleck stuff. But Dimension, we're going to dump all of our just money-seeking titles into it and our horror stuff. And that way we can be somewhat separated from it, which they never And then It's just a Weinstein company fucking thing. Well, then it became Dimension Edge, didn't it? Uh, There was Dimension Extreme. Dimension Extreme, yeah. That was like a specific label with under-Dimension pictures which was even cheaper movies that they had just bought off the market. They didn't even really spend money to make those movies. They were just buying. I like to have distribution deals. I like to call that their kind of trauma brand, but I'm talking about budgets. The first children of the corn movie was, I think about 1 million three, like million point three, And almost all that went to Stephen King. I thought, I think they shot with like, yeah, it was a super low budget movie. Yeah. Like $800,000 for what they shot with. And when you're looking at the very first children of the corn, I think it's one of the most perfect, of the series and as we've discussed recently with Stephen King what is great about Children of the Corn is it was handled like a B movie directly the director everybody went into it with let's make a B movie let's you know I don't think they went into it as hard as exploitation but they knew let's try and build this up act this up or we're making a movie about some kids that worship corn so let's play up to it and they did they reached they changed the story quite a bit Stephen King wrote a screenplay and it was denied another one was passed forward instead it I think is a little bit more condensed King wanted to focus more on the children and you know the, their religion and what was going on as to where the children of the corn from 1984 is a B movie Fritz Fritz Kirsch Fritz I say his last name with a stutter every single time fritz kirsch i think had been doing like children productions so like like tv mostly i think yeah like he specialized in um like children commercials children's television and so he had an experience and like a plethora of names of child actors and people to get this job done with so it was kind of like really perfectly dropped into this guy's hands and it's funny you don't hear about children of the corn talked about a lot it's not on a lot of the scariest movie lists or the best stephen king list it's kind of overlooked it's again like most of the movies we've discussed recently from the night shift um short story collection i think it was originally published published in hustler pages it's really short yeah it's very you know um it's the tall grass pretty much extent of a rock it's corn god um maybe it's moloch the ancient canaanite demon maybe it's the uh what's the guy that's in the stephen king villain from everything He's in the stand. Randall Flagg, you know, maybe it's Randall Flagg. It's just something. It's it's like an Old Testament god that has lived in the corn, you know? What Stephen King does well in short stories is he leaves them very Lovecraftian and vague at times. And the concept behind Children of the Corn is a very strong concept that you just can't really... Faceless terror! And it works really well in a short story format. um, But, like, when you try to spread it out and give it a long-lasting somewhat 
like coherent story. It's just like there's not much there to do. And I, I, will I say- disagree a little bit because I think if like you had mentioned earlier that this was not handled as an ever growing franchise, that, like to an extent, like the uh, Halloween series gets pretty goofy with the occult of Thorn and all that. And Jason is or Michael is some killer from ancient ancient Celtic druids it makes a lot of sense to some people makes little sense to other people uh, jason becomes a zombie freddy is always freddy but they at least told like a linear story and tried to continue it as to where children of the corn is just a cash grab each time it's tuned in or turned on so you don't have it's a name yeah it's if stephen have... king's name is what you're banking on and if you had some um... people remember the original children of the corn somewhat fondly because they were scared by it and i will say this about the original children of the corn the thing that they got the most right was casting of two actors and the two actors were the kid who played isaac and the kid who played malachi everyone else is pretty much miscast peter horton's terrible linda hamilton is basically a couch in the movie she has almost nothing to do particularly but it's the casting of those two characters is what makes that movie resonate with the public somewhat to this day even though it's mostly forgotten at this point yeah, John Franklin and Courtney Gaines. But I think if the story maybe had been taken care of like other series had been treated and it had been invested some time and money into, it could have been successful. Because, I mean, in, in the first idea of it, you've got something kind of interesting that could have either gone as, you know, backward in time or forward in time to figure out what's going on. And you really could have connected it, that your lead characters and the myths behind them and this faceless terror in the corn. You could, you know, there's a lot that you could do with it that it's, you know, just a shame the Leprechaun series manages to be more coherent than something like this that's somewhat well, scary starts every time and the myth is different every time so the leprechaun series doesn't match at all but it's I still mean, warwick davis you know it's, it's still following davis leprechaun. that holds it together most definitely yes this has nothing you know um isaac returns at one point and it's just nothing so you you get a lot of ideas and every time you get something built up upon you move to the next movie it's really you have a vague notion of this religious character this he who walks behind the rose and how he affects the children and somewhat brainwashes it's them just an old god magic or whatever it could be to what he who walks behind the rose actually is in the first movie and in the stephen king story i take it as the you know pre pre-jesus god you know the old testament angry god or a god from that time period it, it take it's a weird deity it demands sacrifices but it's like um I don't know, every old religion that you can read about, there's different demons or different angels, whatever you want to call them, that do certain things, that one brings the plague while one fights the monster or demon or whatever you want to call it that brings the plague. And this seems to be, you know, you give it something, it does something good. You have this idea in the movie and the short story that there has been a drought and the town is going awful. So Isaac, not even Isaac, I think a young preacher is given this idea and convinces all the other children to commit well, mass homicide. That's kind of what I mean and why the short story is hard to turn into like kind of a series of films is the more vague it is, the more elder God it is, it, it's more interesting. But then when you try to expand on the mythos, there's really nothing you can do. There's no well, here's a great example. I mean, you have a million Stephen King movies at this point, and there's very little H.P. Lovecraft that is based on his, you know, Cthulhu or Elder God mythos and things like that, because most of them are unfilmable because his writing was faceless terror, shapeless yeah, entity. You that don't know what it is, and that's what's scary. 
And that really works with the very first movie because you kind of get this point of vision from this creature and you're not quite sure what it is. Even at the climax of the movie, it's kind of like from the view of this tractor and you can see it's bigger or shapeless. Once you do get like a vision of it, it's still nothing. I think it was actually... um like like film of ink being squirted into water and they flipped it upside down. So again, that's kind of very Lovecraftian, a shapeless terror. And again, building in on like the B-movie aspect of things, you've got a cool creature effect, but it's all left to your imagination. Everything shown in Children of the Corn isn't really shown. You get a lot of depiction of violence. You get a lot of graphic violence and murders, but you don't really see it. So it's kind of like Alfred oh, Hitchcock. It's got that, you know, no penetration, but there's a lot of pullout, you know? But- Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> way of putting that. Um, it's like the beginning of the film, I think, works really well with the slaughter of the uh, the adults in the town. I think that yeah, Isaac in the window is just really iconic, yeah. and that especially that's the way it's framing. edited. It's edited like pretty beautifully, and I think anytime John Franklin is on the screen, the movie works. It was twenty three like, years really old well. at the time of filming this. Yeah, he just had the uh, has a growth hormone deficiency, yeah. which just really worked because you look at some of the lines of dialogue and how he acts as Isaac, and there are a kid couldn't do that, right? Yeah. I mean, noted by the remake. I mean, maybe like a Dakota Fanning level kid, but that's not. Yeah, I mean, Drew Barrymore at that time period. Do you really think she could deliver that type of you know dialogue? So it really worked in favor of the movie. And Courtney Gaines, I think, was just turning, or I think he was at the age of slaughter, pretty much, or sacrifice, eighteen or it's nineteen. Like and he's menacing he's just absolutely menacing and then you have you know the big redhead kid that gets stabbed in the throat in the short story wasn't malachi but if you've read it you just have that flash of man this connects this feels right and he's absolutely that death stare that courtney Gaines has that puts a chill still say outlander all the time yeah, just screaming Outlander. Well, again, and how old and is that, that tells something like about your performance. If it's still living on 30 years later, something you did for six weeks in 1982. Well, I mean, didn't South Park recently, not recently, but in the last 10 years, do a yeah. two or three part episode? It wasn't just a one parter that it was, you know, a good chunk of time that they dedicated to remaking Children of the Corn. And it's it's everlasting, but it doesn't get a lot of attention. It's weird that it gets defined as a cult movie, but it's not a conversation piece. Well, a lot of the problem, I think, has to do with Peter Horton, because Peter Horton is, like, as an actor, he's not a terrible actor, but he's very soft features, and he's, like, I don't know, he's just not, like, somebody who you consider to be, like, kind of a super badass or in any way threatening at all. Well, he is playing a physician, so, I mean, he is a bit, I think, but... It's just, I don't, like, I can't get behind him. I, with his Not feathered any hair and his so. fake little beard, he ha- I just can't get behind it at all. It's just, he, he's not, like, he's not fit for this role personally, well, see, I think. It's funny, you have an issue with how he looks as to where, I don't think it's anything about that. I, I agree completely with you. It's how he is not as, as an actor, how the character is portrayed more or less than anything else, because he's so nonchalant. He reminds me of how I imagine Toby Hooper, like, walked onto a movie set of, like, fuck it, I don't care. What's up? Hey guys, they're like he, there's just no give a shit no matter well, what's also, going on with this character. There's nothing really for him to do either. It's for him to like walk through the town and figure out what we already know has happened since we read like under watch the trailer, understand the premise of what's going on. So 
the characters are playing catch up the entire movie and we don't need that catch up. So it kind of makes it boring. And that's where it differs greatly from the King story, because, you know, that's the short pacing and you as a reader being able to understand what's going on. And then you've got the whole car incident and the, the fight where the redhead gets killed. And then it pretty much ends and it's wrapped up in a bow. This just sputters completely out of control because you've got two additional characters, Joby or Job and his little sister. So they kind of play house and are, their only creation and reasoning to be in this is so Bert has someone to talk to because it's the, the say. well the story's pretty nihilistic itself because Bert and Vicky both die and it kind of ends with hey these fucking kids worshiping some weird old god that lives in the corner just gonna go on and have another day and now you have to die at 18 instead of 19 boom it's over you had to have something to drive this motion with and what sucks is. <laughs> I guess we're all returning to the Pinto conversation, but I just kind of want a Joby to, I don't know, fucking die. Just the whole movie. I just, <laughs> He's I, in I the Monster Squad, man. That kid's awesome. <laughs> the kid's awesome, but the character I just have little to no give a shit for because he's so expendable. He was playing music and had games. It's yeah. against the rules. Which that is, there is a cool scene where Courtney Gaines walks in and, you know, throws down the knife and it does his Something about or... Courtney Gaines's mouth is disturbing. I don't know what it is. He's just got a huge mouth. He he did that for the movie. He, with intent, tried to keep his, like, lower jaw out that he had an underbite at the time and was, like, with intent forcing his jaw out to kind of give himself this creepy character to just make himself look creepy because it was a poor movie and he was 18 and thought it looked cool, which it did. It, it, it paid off. It was a pretty cool effect that he just brought to the table. The thing I will give the original Children of the Corn is they at least made it a satisfying film overall i think the middle section is incredibly dull and drawn out but for an 80s movie it needed more action it's a pretty standard 80s movie and it has a little bit of action at the end although the like i threw the molotov cocktail and it didn't do anything and now the kids that's hysterical like that like 80s movie shit i don't think it's intentionally made to be funny but that's just one of those scenes where you start clapping and laughing and you know it's more proof too i think of the innocence of childhood and being a child and that's the whole driving point here is the idea that children are pure and that children are born pure unlike as we talked about with the witch that some people believe you're born into complete and absolute sin that once you reach a certain once you reach a certain age you are past the point of redemption through God and that God suffers upon the children and needs the innocent lamb to continue forward. So just deriving that deriving that, and having the concept of killer kids, but it's not like David Cronenberg, mutant Oliver Reed killer kids. There's just something fucking terrifying about it that, because you don't want to kill a kid. You don't want to have to, which is a great movie, Who Could Kill a Child, a, a whole movie about that driving point. But you just don't want to have to do it. So Bert's like nonchalant, nah, it just doesn't pay it forward because you need somebody that has to live through, like, could I kill and harm a kid? Not pussy-ass throwing a Molotov cocktail and forcing a child to go into it. So it's just funny. It, it plays off more like mock humor to me than anything else, like a bad character of a doctor. Like they're making fun of physicians almost. Yeah, I think a little bit of the, I mean, remaking this movie when they did, they had to set it in the 70s and some other bullshit. Well, that's like the story takes place. The, the remake it has to because you can't cut a town off anymore. You can't cut it off in the universe and nobody care that a, you a could, town but is you being can't run do by it. children. 
you, you, you can't do it in the United States. Like, you could definitely, which is funny because I have this. We'll get to this, I guess, uh, later on when we get to part three. But I have this whole planned sequel. I'm going to write a Children of the Corn sequel. We'll talk about that at another time. Set though. it in Bulgaria. You could get it made no. tomorrow. Uh, well, it, it's going to be in Eastern Europe, man. Well, well, you're done. You can do this right now. Go I talk know. To somebody. I've Lionsgate, got a, I think, owns it. So I've got an idea. We can shoot over there. In fact, we don't even need a fucking American. It's just me. I'll write, direct. I've got it. I'll even act in it. I don't care. <laughs> I've got an idea. I don't want to talk about it now because it's, it's a good one. You might actually approve of it for once. I don't even know what the fuck I was talking about anymore now because I got all willy-nilly excited about Children of the Corn sequels. What doesn't pay off is I know I already talked about Bert sucking. Never mind. Well, uh, I mean Bert, Bert sucks. Linda yeah. Hamilton <laughs> is just there. He's in the middle of exploitation of Stephen King when people were buying short stories and making cheap movies out of. This was around the time of um, Silver Bullet was coming. When Firestarter. Firestarter. But I mean, like all those turned out to be okay, but a lot of those didn't have the best intentions. I mean, Christine is a good movie, but I don't think it had the best intentions from the start. I don't think anybody will, like set out to make a killer car movie. That's a great idea. People set out to make a Stephen King movie. See, I, I think Christine is one of the more perfect uh, Stephen King yeah. translations because it was rewritten Definitely. like hardcore enough and is it's coherent. And, you know, again, like a lot of the stuff we've said about Stephen King is insulting and we don't mean it you know in a negative shitty manner children of the corn is also like up there on top tier with me the movie has a lot of issues and it does get somewhat boring and drag here and there but comparing to a lot of the other source material and other things especially what we're going to get into later on uh it's pretty solid linda hamilton is boring i'll give you that peter horton is I don't know. I don't care. That's a, par- a problem with me is that I don't care about any of the characters. I care about Isaac. I want to know what's going on with Isaac and Malachi. That's an and interesting kids. part of the story. So, yeah, I mean, because and that was King's original concept that he delivered. I mentioned um, a screenplay for this that focused on the children, their religion. The old God was driven from their perspective and their point of view. And they went with something completely different. And when we get to the remake that I- I'm assuming the remake that came out in 2009 was just King's original script, his story. And, you know, like with The Shining, the TV version of that, we've discussed it briefly. I don't care for it. Some people do. King thinks that is the better movie. I will say that the Children of the Corn remake might not be the better movie, but it certainly is more entertaining and has a much better story. And the story is Children of the Corn, just longer, just the night shift Children of the Corn. Yeah, a lot is. of the faff was cut out. A lot of the romance, a lot of the necessity was cut out. Um, it's just more human. And I just think overall, Children of the Corn, the original, is overall mostly a kind of bland Stephen King idea. And when we move into the sequel here in a second, Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice, that's after Dimension had bought it, Bob and Harvey Weinstein. The and last were- time a Children of the Corn movie got to see the light of a theater. Yes, I still can't believe it came out of theaters. Um, Part three would have sold in a theater. Part three had some decent effects and looks pretty cool. Part two is just a weird, like, lifetime movie almost. For for half the movie, you don't really know what's going on, and then all of a sudden, it's the guy from the Bauhaus starts fucking killing people. Or maybe it's the guy from The Damned. I don't know. They all look alike. Well, it's, what is it, the next town over, and, like, some kids get the kids... 
get broken uh, so up this out is of Gatlin. Saying it's a direct sequel. So this is immediately after the first the direct th- sequel. There's a yeah. lot of direct sequels. So going directly after Children of the Corn, all the surviving kids from the town of Gatlin are shipped out, and it's completely ludicrous because a character even stops and says, These kids fucking killed their parents, dude. They killed everyone in town, and you're just gonna move them in, and it that's the intro to the movie. Like, no, yeah, they're fine, they're kids. Come on, calm down. They might have done some weird stuff, but we didn't see it. Move it on. Come at on. the end of the day, they are kids until one kid goes out into the cornfield and has a weird pre, like, viz fucking CGI scene that's just there because CGI is new and exciting. It's like fucking weird rotoscope stuff. It reminded and, me of Lawnmower uh, Man. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a Lawnmower Man style effects. Since Lawnmower, well, let's put this in there. We'll put a little CGI scene. Well, and that's what they sold the movie on. That's what was I, most I get the, the trailers point. is the CG scenes. I mean, it's showing, and here, I guess, you know, we're going to be diving into concepts about Children of the Corn, but there's so many different things shown in each movie that, like, in the original movie, it's 1980, uh, and then it, the movie event takes place in 83. In the story, it's 1963, and then 12 years later. So in the story, you've got the the rule laid down that at 19 years old you are sacrificed and if the prophet reaches 19 he's sacrificed so isaac is just whomever the prophet is at the time in the first movie he seems to be you know like like possessed or overtaken or a uh, an entity of he who walks behind the rose that he who he who walks behind the rose has become part of isaac and is showing him what to do because or at least at the end of the movie he's overtaken by him and has some sort of extra power moving into the second movie it's focusing more on that aspect of it being an entity so when this kid uh gotta forgot is all of them have biblical names micah when micah played by um ryan ballman or bullman random 25 year old dude pretending he's 17 yeah it's actually the lead singer of the bauhaus don't it's, it's maybe Peter Murphy? Is yes. it? <laughs> it's definitely definitely peter murphy when they he gets walking through the cornfield like taken over it's like the only point in the movie that sort of follows the original concept and plot that he who walks behind the rose is getting a new prophet because now that isaac's gone and malachi's gone he needs a new prophet so it's trying it's got little legs and it's trying well, to i mean they, them, but... they do go into that weird random sequitur in part two with the the corn fungus making everyone go crazy and that could be a possibility of what's happening no corn uh, fungus is making people go crazy, John Redmoon. They gave the Indian guy just a fucking stupid name. It's not John Redmoon, but I think it's maybe John Redbear. <laughs> it's not a good name. Frank Redbear. It's Frank Redbear. So you have, like, okay, that's kind of interesting, but you go ahead and go into the supernatural anyway, so therefore the corn fungus thing has nothing to do with anything else. And the kill scenes in this movie are horrible, and they're ridiculous. And they're poorly, like, um, shot and staged. Like, my absolute favorite is at the beginning of the movie, you get your character introductions with um, John and Danny Garrett, a father and son team, and John is now a tabloid writer. And he's pulling into town after the Gatlin murders and finding out what happens, and all the news vans and all his former friends that he's worked with over the years are leaving, and they all stop and do some second-rate jokes with him. And they are in this big news van, and they pull into a cornfield, and... He who walks behind the rose causes a big storm, like at the end of the first movie, and it swarms and, and swoops over. Yeah, not just kills, like one guy runs out and gets lost and killed by the corn, but the best scene in the entire movie is the guy sitting in the van who screams a solid five seconds, no, with his hands over his face as a spear of corn spirals toward him and breaks through the window and kills him. A spear of corn! It's of course great! never get that hardy. 
particularly. They don't get like so hard. You can turn it into a, no, it's, a it's scimitar a or. I love it's it just, though. I mean, it's it's. I'm not giving any defense. I mean, I don't know if we're rating these movies. If we want to go back and rate Children of the Corn, no. I below a two. <laughs> By the time you get to part two, like when you get into the kill scenes, they're all played for humor, which was a weird spin they decided to take on, and it was much more teenage involved because the tabloid reporter has his teenage son, so he can get converted to the to the he who walks behind the rose cult and all that which shit. this just, becomes a common a, theme through the rest busy. of the series now i mean it's it, like it's, it's just not it's not interesting well part one establishes the concept and then two through eight delivers with this like repetitive child prophet or carrying on or getting new cult members but it never actually explains or delivers what is going on or who anything is and each time you get to the end of one movie it restarts with a different prophet this one i'll give credit for following you know like the linear aspect of it was isaac now there's a new prophet micah that has been possessed by he who walks behind the rose the ending is uh, it you could tell that they probably did a lot more and a lot got censored, but I mean, you've got somebody killed with a big fucking corn harvester and you don't see it. That doesn't. Well, I mean, off. you can't you show. A, you have a lady in a wheelchair getting rolled around like for comic effect. You have a house falling on a lady doing like weird Wizard of Oz reference. Well, I mean, yeah, that's and that starts with her like character. She's the one that comes in bitching at the beginning of the movie on the bicycle. So that's representative of the witch at the beginning of the Wizard of Oz. Well, not the witch, but you know what I mean? It's all Wizard of Oz. It's just too. I just think it's it's hokey. Yeah. And hokey. And I think really what you get from part two... It's not even kitsch hokey. It's just... Un, it's no, like... Just hokey. Yeah, this bad. should have been one of the many direct-to-video sequels as to where part three was appropriate for a theatrical. I, I think really with part two, more than anything, is kind of the start of the opening weekend push. And that's really what really all the studio cared about was, let's get the opening weekend, let's get number one or number two, make our $15 million, and who gives a shit after that? Yeah, I don't even know if this would have pulled a fifteen million. I mean, this I was... it didn't do well. It didn't yeah. do well at all. But I mean, it was there specifically for the teenage market, and it probably had a bigger budget than the original movie. Oh, I mean, with the, the CGI, most definitely. So when you have a product like Children of the Corn two, I mean, this is the the beginning of people like Dimension, the wine scenes, really taking properties like this and really running them into the ground and not particularly caring. What they're caring about is selling units, selling tickets. And I know that's imperative for the film now, industry. I might be you, wrong with this, but this is more Bob than Harvey, right? Yeah, Bob runs most yeah. of uh, Dimension himself. Um, but when you do focus specifically on that and not putting out a good product, you're not even going to get cult classic. I mean, how many people have bought um, Children of the Corn 2 on Blu-ray specifically because, oh, I remember this one. I saw it in the theater when I was a kid, and I loved it. It really doesn't have, like, even an underground fan base. None of these films do, because consistently the Weinsteins put up bad product, like the Hellraiser series. I don't care. Just put something out there that says Hellraiser on it. And this is a pretty good example of that same sort of um, ideal in filmmaking. I think that's particularly poor. It's short-sighted. If you're a collector, you probably have the exact same Children of the Corn set I have, which is, I think, two through seven on two different discs. And each time you put it in, it's just the kid from Children of the Corn Part Two's face or three. It's the kid from Part Three's face. Okay. So, uh, uh, I think Mill Creek put that out. So there's I don't know you know, how many of these are actually able to be released. There's not even a Wikipedia page that you can find to read a synopsis about the most recent one. So Children of the Corn has become 
I don't want to call it a lost series, but definitely an overlooked series compared to some of the other. I don't even know massive. if they're legally allowed to put Stephen King's name on them anymore. He is. He's he is given a um, based on the characters by in the credits of uh, the John Gulliger, but film. not above. Time. No, that's what it I is mean. not Stephen, Stephen King's, King's Children of the Corn. Yeah, not it's at just all. Children of the Corn now. Hoping you remember Stephen King was involved. Now, this might be incorrect, but I think he was annoyed enough with the very first movie that he wanted his name taken off of it because, you know, they, they, that year they didn't year use the script up. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, when you go out of your way and you write the script for it and they apparently used almost all the budget for King, you know, what was the problem with it? What was and I think it wasn't really focused on a drive in audience that this, as you had mentioned and said, this isn't a, a, an Emmy winning Emmy. Ah, fuck an Emmy winning movie. This isn't tier like Brian De Palma work. This is kind of a B movie, a drive in movie. It was made that way, though. It was made with that expectation of it's we're just trying one to weekend. That is yeah. all it's made for one weekend. And who cares? if we sell any copies after that. Well, I think, you know, with, with the drive of the very first movie, they knew and acknowledged that exactly, that this is what we're doing. We're getting this out here. We're going to film for six weeks, get it done with in six weeks, probably come in under budget in six weeks, and here we go. We got a nice product, and everybody clapped themselves on the back at the end of the day, which they should have. It worked well. Part well, two, they-, they just wanted to you know, shove a product in a bag and get it out to people. And unfortunately, when you do things with efficiency and you know what you're doing and, you know, you get things done in six weeks and you wrap it up, that's fine. When you're just trying to make a product, efficiency doesn't matter because you're just making a a fucking few products. They know that word of mouth is going to kill them with the product that they've done. And honestly, when you put out a product like Children of the Corn 2, it shows an amazing sense of disrespect to the horror audience because you're not even really attempting to give them something. You're just basically saying they're stupid. It says children of the corn on it. It has a couple murders. I don't, what more do you want? Oh, well, I would like you to try. I would like you to at least write a script. I'd like you to stop worrying so much about, I'm not saying you give it $50 million, but if it goes over like by 50,000, who gives a shit? Like actually put up, a little bit, even if it is a cheap exploitation movie like Children of the Corn 2, at least put a little effort in. Some, Who wrote Children of the Corn 2? I think it's it knows. A.L. Katz and I think Stephen King gets a credit for it. David Price directed it. And it's, you know, names you'll see a lot specifically through pretty much Dimension Studio films. A lot of these guys carried over to the Hellraiser series too. But I would say Children of the Corn 2 is probably one and maybe a three. Children of the Corn 2. I'm just going to give it a one and a one. I have almost no enjoyment. You don't get any fulfilling gore effects. But unlike the first movie where, you know, it's all pull out, no penetration, you still get a little bit of shock. You still have a little bit of fun with what's going on. You have an illusion to at least the murders. In this essence, you get to see stuff going on, and then it just cuts and it pulls away. There's no fun. There's just no fun about any of it. The character Micah is a very poor, like, sequel representation of Isaac. Isaac was terrifying. Malachi was terrifying. Those were awesome characters. They were very well built. They had a directive. They were horror characters. They're great villains. Micah sucked. Well, that will wrap it up for the Children of the Corn 1 and 2. And tune in tomorrow and, what, just download, tune in fucking download or whatever the hell it is you do your podcast the next episode tomorrow because it'll be out. We'll be talking about Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, and Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering. If you're wondering where to find Death by DVD, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Last FM, Player FM, CastBox, TuneIn, everywhere. We are everywhere.
Step by DVD was recorded live in Catlin, Nebraska, in front of He Who Walks Behind the Road.